Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, answers some of the terrible poll results the party has been seeing. Also, a new Ipsos poll says 37% of Canadians say immigration is a threat to them. Why? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Uh, All right. uh, The reason that we're uh, having the premier on, um, you know, I I have felt that since the day, uh, whether you like his politics or not, that he's took office, he has been constantly hammered and hammered and hammered for uh, things that uh, uh, you didn't like about the past government. And that was overspending and priorities that, that really weren't yours. Uh, that being said, we have someone who's come in and is taking the province in a, in a different direction. And all we have heard is, is you know, and, and I understand the media has a tendency to lean left, maybe not this show, but uh, in hammering away at certain things, whether it's uh, the beer store or, or, or health care or autism or, or such. And uh, we've had a series of polls come out that have uh, painted the uh, premier and the, the party that governs Ontario in a not so positive light. So I'm thinking rather than having everybody, uh, more people jumping on the show saying what they don't like, uh, let's get the people on that uh, are making these decisions and hear what they have to say and specifically the premier of Ontario. So the premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, is with us now. Uh, Doug, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate this. Well, thanks for having me on, Scott. Uh, I guess my first question to you, do you think you guys and girls are doing enough to get out and sell this stuff to counter what you're hearing? Well, I always say, uh, no matter if it's a private company or a politics, uh, we can always do a better job in selling the, the message and getting out there. And that's uh, one of the reasons I'm on today, where we have to get our message out there. And the message is pretty pretty simple. We, we're asking municipalities across this province uh, to find up towards four uh, percent, and uh, we're going to help them do that. They they say they can't find it. Well, I ask the people at home: uh, Do you, when times are tough, can you find one percent, two percent in your overall family budget? Uh, not to mention the, the government, the bloated bureaucracy at uh, municipal and provincial and federal levels. We found it. Ninety-two percent of our uh, money goes out to. Uh, goes out to municipalities and, and hospitals and colleges and universities. Uh, you know, we, we need their support. And uh, a lot of these uh, municipalities, uh, they believe in two things. They believe in uh, cutting programs or raising taxes. Our solution is find efficiencies. Uh, we know you have efficiencies, and we're willing to support you and help you and get a, a, a third party in there to uh, go line by line if you can't do it. And uh, we'll find them for you. Uh, Hamilton Mayor Fran Eisenberger re- uh, released a, a, a press release saying that uh, uh, the uh, cut to the budgets by a 4% shows a lack of consideration for municipal budgets, that uh, Hamilton does a multi-year budgeting, already do a line-by-line scrutiny to find efficiencies, spending smarter, modernizing services, eliminating duplication, and have done so for years, had the lowest tax increase in the province or below the rate of inflation for the past six years. Um, they see... It, 
municipalities and, and specifically what Mayor Fred is saying here is it, it, they didn't see this coming. There was no consultation that they were blindsided on this. And and this sort of haphazard approach means that, that local taxpayers may face cuts or, or property increases, tax increases or both. Well, that, that just shows a lack of leadership on the mayor's behalf. I, I don't know where he was in the, during the provincial election, but that was our message. We were going to reduce the size and cost of government. We made it very clear. We, we uh, were elected with a large mandate to straighten out the finances of this province, which I want to remind everyone, we inherited a $15 billion deficit, a $347 billion debt, which is the largest debt in the entire world, sub-sovereign debt in the world. We're paying a million and a half dollars interest every hour, $36 million a day interest. Uh, you know, we, it's not sustainable. And I didn't hear the mayor arguing when he was in my office, and he wanted uh, to spend $1.2 billion on, on an LRT, which we approved uh, in Hamilton. So it's, it's okay when they want the money, but when we ask them to support us a little bit, a small percentage of their overall budget, uh, they can't seem to find the efficiencies. Uh, anyone willing to take you up on the offer that uh, you'll provide the services if you want someone to go over your your, your uh, budgets line by line? Well, I know the rural municipalities uh, took us up on it. They did very well in, in doing that. Now we're just asking the large municipalities to do the same. And uh, I, I don't know what they're hiding. Again, anyone sitting at home tonight, uh, you know, listening to the news, they're going to say government can't find 1% or 2%. Um, and their overall budget is just not realistic. We know there's bloated government in, in Hamilton and Toronto and other large municipalities. Uh, just, just find the savings. It's, uh, and you don't have to, uh, you don't have to make cuts. Reallocate the savings towards areas that people need it. And that's healthcare education, which we did. We increased healthcare 1.3 billion and education 700 million and found 4%. We're on our way to find 8%. Uh, let's uh, let's leave uh, the the auditing in in the four uh, percent for the budget cuts and and move on to another issue that uh, I'm surprised we're even talking about, but it, it's come up and and listeners have been asking me to ask you this. Um, uh, obviously, uh, an MPP in this area uh, down the Niagara Way, Sam Oosteroff, uh talking about. Uh, abortion issues and such. We're certainly seeing this flame up south of the border in Alabama. Are you worried that your party's going to get drawn into this and, and painted with this brush? People want to, want me to ask you where you stand on the abortion issue, and will you open up this issue again in Ontario? Well, I've said over and over again, um, Scott, that we aren't opening this up, and we're focusing on the finances of this province. Uh, I don't hear that out of the door when I go door knocking or meet people. I haven't heard that from anyone. And uh, as for Sam, we have a big tent, and everyone uh, can believe in what they want. Uh, I'm not going to exclude someone for their beliefs, no matter their religious beliefs or any beliefs that they have. Uh, we have to have a, a big tent. But I'll tell you, our government is not reopening it. We have uh, other priorities, a lot bigger priorities than, than this uh, let's move on to the environment. Obviously, we know what your stand is on carbon tax and such. Uh, many are asking, especially you know, in light of the floods that, that you witnessed up in Muskoka Way and such, um, why you're cutting costs uh, or funds to flood management programs or, or even tree planting uh, programs. Well, let's go to the, the tree, tree planting. They, they put a failed policy out, the Liberals, 
uh, I think it was 15 years ago, and said they were going to plant 50 million trees. Well, uh, the the time came up, and there's still uh, you know 27 million trees uh, to be to be planted, and they're they're putting that on our our back. So we talked to the forestry industry. We found out that they're they're planting 68 million trees, and it's not costing the taxpayers any money. So why do we always have to have the government? doing things when we have the private sector do it and they're good stewards of their uh, environment and of the forestry industry so uh there's there's areas that uh, we don't need to be in involved in and that's that's one of the areas we rely on the forestry industry that are doing a great job uh what about flood management flood management uh, we have two task force going right now one up in the ottawa region up in muskoka as well we've put uh, five million dollars into the watershed program up in Muskoka. We're working with Ottawa right now. And we definitely uh, have a problem. Uh, They said it was one in a hundred year storm. Well, there was another storm uh, in 2017, another one a few years later. So we have to uh, make sure we can control the the water system and watershed. And we're working hard at that. Uh, What about the carbon tax? We certainly know where you and and other uh, various uh, premiers across the province are on this and and taking it to court. Um, uh, One listener, and this is a common question we've been asked, uh, how much money are are taxpayers paying in court fees for uh, previous programs or situations like this that have been cancelled? Is this worth the the money being spent? It's uh, well worth the money being spent, and we were transparent during the election that we're going to use every tool at our disposal to uh, fight this carbon tax. It's it's a tax with the word carbon in front of it. It does nothing for the environment. We're leading the country with 22.5% reductions. Our goal is to hit the Paris Agreement at 30%, while the rest of the country is positive 5 So we're minus 22.5%. We have 11 years to go, 8.5 more percent to, to find, which we'll find easily. Why put us at a disadvantage economically and competitively against uh, other areas, jurisdictions, uh, for instance, against uh, Michigan, Ohio, uh, any of the U.S. states that, that don't have it. We compete uh, every day against the, the Americans, and it just makes us uncompetitive. Everything you buy right now, the prices are gone up. The, the gas has gone up. Uh, you, you go from point A to point B, B you're paying more. For what? For, for something that does nothing for the environment? We have a strong environmental plan. Uh, led by our minister, Rod Phillips, and he's doing a great job. But you don't need to tax people uh, to say you're environmentally friendly. I, I, I find that ironic. Uh, I think many would agree with you that Ontario has done more than its share uh, you know, to date on all of this. Is that taking credit for something the past Liberal government has done? Well, you know, something we, we've been in office 10 months. We're carrying on with a, a strong environmental program that uh, the minister made up and uh, the previous government, yeah, they, they ended up getting a few percentage points, so I'm not going to begrudge them from getting any kudos. But in saying that, we're going to continue uh, moving forward with our plan uh, without uh, gouging the taxpayers. And now, since they've implemented this carbon tax in Ontario, you go to your gas pumps, it's up four and a half cents or five cents a litre, and, and on our end, we reduced it. Uh, what, you know, you've talked about your plan and, and the environment minister and, and such. Other than killing the carbon tax, what do we know about your plan? Well, our, our plan is a strong environmental plan. You can go to uh, Minister of Environment uh, website. 
I don't have the website off the top of my uh, head, but we're going to go after large polluters. Uh, we're going to go after them uh, really passionately and hold them accountable. We're going to make sure that our, our lakes and waters are, 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 and rivers are being tested constantly to make sure we have clean clean water and no one's uh, dumping anything into our, our lakes or rivers. We want to make sure we have clean air and, and clean uh, parks. That's that's what we're focusing on, and and we're doing it. We're leading the country, and we're going to continue to lead the country. But we're also going to be uh, we're going to be competitive when it comes to industry, and we're going to be uh, punishing the the average family the way uh, this federal government's uh, punishing them right now. Are you concerned at all with the speed of these cuts? You know, specifically when you're talking about things like healthcare and and uh, and autism programs and such, yeah. that there hasn't been enough consultation with the with the stakeholders in these areas. Well, Scott, we've increased. There hasn't been any cuts in healthcare. We've increased at 1.3 billion dollars. We've increased the autism fund from 257 million or 256 million up to over 600 million dollars. And uh, maybe it goes back to your your point. We have to make sure that we get our message out a lot uh, louder and clearer than we might have in the past. But I'll I'll tell you, we're we're out there. We're we're getting it out there, and uh, we're spending more money in healthcare than any government in the history of Ontario. And uh, a lot of a lot of people on the, the far far right have criticized us for not cutting enough. The far left says we cut we cut too much. So we're kind of right down the center. We have a reasonable responsible budget that we put forward that we're going to balance in five years and uh, I, I can tell you one thing scott is is this province the people of it uh, a little better off than they were a year ago they're they aren't 10 times better off they're a thousand times better off there's 170,000 people that are working now that weren't working last year and that, that's absolutely huge and uh, we're going to continue getting the economy moving forward there's in excess of 200,000 jobs out there they're available. Everywhere we go, all people are telling me is we need more workers. We need more people. So if you're healthy uh, and you want to work, there's a tremendous amount of opportunities and jobs out there for you. All right. I know you got to run, uh, uh, Mr. Premier. I want to ask you a couple more questions on education. Uh, obviously, it was a few weeks ago you were you were encouraging uh, unions and, and everyone to get together and start working on a plan. So come September, we're not uh, with labor unrest. Where do you see uh, moving forward with the education uh, system? Uh, you, you know, you've got some cuts to clock, class sizes, which, which has... Uh, the unions up in arms and such. Where do you think we'll be come September? Well, hopefully September we'll have a fair deal for the teachers, a fair deal for the students and the taxpayers. Uh, we can't have this runaway train. Uh, I differentiate between teachers' union leadership and teachers. I support the frontline teachers. I don't support the teachers' unions that have declared war uh, against us. I have uh, quite a few friends that are teachers that I talked to, and I think it was uh, three, four days after we got elected, uh, they were uh, calling all their members, telling them to save up three months because we're going to war with this government. Well, what else is there? They went to war with Bob Ray, went to war with Mike Harris, and hmm. Dalton McGinty, and Kathleen Wynne. Uh, the teachers' unions, uh, they want to go to war against uh, anyone that uh, doesn't increase uh, their, you know, line their pockets in, in the way of uh, more more teachers. So uh, as enrollment has dropped, uh, 100 and uh, 9,000 students, uh, they hired 11,000 more teachers. 
Hmm. I don't know how that adds up. Any any business, it's like you have less customers, but you're hiring more employees. Something's broken. Uh, all right. To sum up here, uh, Doug, there's been a, a lot of negative uh, press, uh, polls, whatever. Uh, since you've taken office, it's almost like been like an election campaign, even though you're finished and won. Uh, what do you want to say to Ontario voters? What do you want to say to the people of Ontario through all of this? Well, my message is very clear. If you want a strong economy, you, you want a good paying job, you want a future for your children and grandchildren, uh, we have to take steps to drive efficiencies, and they're modest efficiencies. We aren't asking for the world. We're asking for a couple percentage points. And everyone, everyone out there has had a one time or another find percentage points in their own, their own uh, household. And, and everyone else uh, knows that uh, there's a ton of waste in all three levels of government. So if we want to be uh, fiscally sustainable, then we need to find efficiencies. And if you want to... Uh, businesses to thrive and grow and prosper and you grow within the company uh this this is the only uh, route we have is to go down there and to make sure that there's incentives for for companies to grow and uh that's what we're doing and it works it, it's proven it works last administration lost 300,000 manufacturing jobs uh, we've created the environment to uh gain 170,000 jobs with many more coming our economy's on fire. People are doing well, a lot better than they were a year ago. And we're going to continue uh, moving forward and make this the strongest region to do business anywhere in the world. Doug Ford has been with us, Premier of Ontario. Mr. Premier, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks so much, Scott. All and right. Thanks for the great work. All the best. Thank you. It is 152. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. There you have it. Uh, covered a wide range of uh, of topics in, in, in a, short, a, myri- a short period of time. Uh, interesting the notes that have come in since. Uh, Rick says, Mayor Fred uh, needs to accept the city's responsibilities and do its part. Any budget that includes 40K to identify burned out streetlights can certainly find efficiencies. Uh, Pat says, uh, can you give him my number? He needs a free advisor. <laughs> um, again, asking the questions uh, about uh, whether breaking these contracts are more expensive than keeping them. Uh, one question I didn't ask, uh, the merging of the two boards. Sorry, you didn't get time for that. Uh, Toby says, uh, the debt on previous generation spending of our money in Ontario is costing $1 billion every month or the entire LRT budget for Hamilton every month. It's painful, but it must stop. For that reason, I wish the public would try to get on board with finding ways. Uh, feel free to offer your comments. Send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com, Facebook and Twitter as well. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900CHML. All right, a new Ipsos poll says, conducted for Global News, 37% of Canadians say immigration is a threat to Canadians, specifically white Canadians. What is that threat? What does this all mean? Uh, There's been various polls uh, over the last little while that has shown similar results. Let's bring in Jeff Semple, Europe Bureau Chief, Global News, and he is with us now. Jeff, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hi, Scott. Great to be with you. A lot of Canadians are having a hard time understanding how a country of immigrants can uh, be threatened by immigrants. <laughs> well, that's right. And obviously not every one of us is, but, uh, you know, a pretty significant number, according to these polls and this latest one that uh, was conducted for Global News by Ipsos that found, as you say, 37% of respondents said that they believe that immigration is, quote, 
a threat to white Canadians. Now, you know, how to define that threat? Well, according to Ipsos, it breaks down in a number of ways. There are some people who believe that immigrants uh, threaten Canadian values, an erosion of Canadian values, if you like, um, while others are worried that immigrants are a drain on our healthcare system or our social assistance systems. Uh, and another big one, Scott, and one that we delved into quite a bit in reporting this series is the question of whether immigrants are taking the jobs of their Canadian-born peers. Touch on that, Jeff, because uh, we've heard so much in regard to uh, population growth within Canada itself that we need these people coming in, a certain amount of people coming in every year to this country. Well, yeah, that's right. And I mean, you know, those who argue in favor of increasing immigration, uh, among them, of course, the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who's been talking about that even this week, uh, and wants to increase the number for Canada moving forward. Uh, and, you know, usually the number one argument for that is the, you know, quote unquote, demographic crisis. The fact that we are, you know, ha we, we have an aging population, we have a low fertility rate. Um, according to Statistics Canada, in about 20 years, Canada's population growth will be very close to zero uh, and if you fast forward 50 years Scott the projection is that without immigration um, that we would have about half of the population being over the age of 65 so half of the population of Canada would effectively be seniors in about 50 years or so if we didn't have immigration. So the point is, you know, therein lies the main argument for, um, you know, having immigration, allowing immigration in. And, and to your question about, you know, job creation or taking jobs, um, Statistics Canada has some data on that as well that we've been combing through that show that, if, in fact, particularly when they first arrive, immigrants are more likely to start new businesses and create new jobs than their Canadian-born peers are. So, you know, a large, a large part of that is due to the fact that, you know, these are usually new businesses, so of course they're growing and expanding. Immigrants more likely to take risks in these areas than perhaps their Canadian-born peers are. But the bottom line is, Scott, that the data available shows that immigrants, on the whole, don't take as many jobs as they do create jobs. And overall, you know, there's really no argument among economists that immigration is good for the Canadian economy. Why white Canadians? Is immigration a threat to Canadians or is it a threat to white Canadians? Yeah, well, and the white Canadians uh, aspect of that question is interesting in part because, you know, Canada is, the face of Canada is changing undeniably. I mean, as you say, we have a significant immigration population now at 20%. And the projections are, and I mean, you know, we're, we're looking well into the future now, so take all of this with a grain of salt, but in less than a century, around 80% of Canadians will be non-white. Um, so, you know, visible minorities will become visible majorities, I suppose. Yeah. And, you know, so that, you know, that's the direction we're heading in. And, um, you know, if I, I suppose if, you know, you can argue in terms of whether some people might not be happy about that, but I suppose the alternative that we're faced with right now, like it or not, is, as we say, this demographic crisis where we have an aging population. We're simply not making babies fast enough to populate mm -hmm. Canada in a way that the, the economy requires to grow the population, to grow the economy. And so, you know, a lot of people therefore advocate for the fact that Canadians will soon need to perhaps work longer and retire later, but that immigration will need to be a key part of that solution if we are to keep the population growing and the economy as well. You talked about concerns being, uh, concerns being jobs, uh, security, health care, that sort of thing. Uh, any insight into how 
how government handles immigration. Does that play into this? Um, many remember back to the time when when uh, Justin Trudeau, you know, basically opened the arms, come on in, and then we saw an increase of people through the through the fence. We all know that the, the, that Canada has a complex immigration system, but is he giving us the perception that he's not doing enough? Well, you know, w- one of the discussions here is, is you know, being clear in terms of definition. So what we've been talking about, you know, over the last few minutes it, are immigrants, right? So people who arrive in Canada through our immigration system, um, you know, where we have our immigration officials, there's a point system and, you know, they look at someone's education, they look at their financial resources, mm-hmm. et cetera, and then decide who they let in. Then there are refugees, of course, which are who are let in, you know, predominantly uh, for humanitarian reasons. And then you have the people, you know, either the border cross people crossing the border. Uh, so all of this sort of, you know, these are different categories of people. And of course, it's right. important to make that distinction. And Justin Trudeau doesn't always make that distinction, you know, when he's talking about immigration. But the important thing, Scott, I think to underline is even when you look at, you know, refugees, for example, well, they don't perform as well as immigrants at the beginning, they tend to catch up, particularly second generation refugees, mm-hmm. you know, they have children who tend to, you know, then do then do very well and contribute to the economy. So all of these newcomers to Canada tend to contribute to the Canadian economy at least, rather than detract from it. Jeff Semple has been with us, Europe Bureau Chief for Global News, and talking about a new Ipsos poll. 37% uh, in poll say immigration is a threat to white Canadians. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Great talking with you. Thanks, Scott. Of course, that was Jeff Semple, uh, Europe Bureau Chief for Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6 for more on this. Going to take a quick break, and we'll talk to an immigration lawyer on these latest findings when we return. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Ipsos poll says conducted for global by Ipsos. 37% of Canadians say immigration a threat to Canadians. Let's bring in Giddy uh, Maman, senior partner, founder of Maman Sandalot Kingwell LLP. They are immigration lawyers, and Giddy is with us now. Giddy, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Scott. Uh, this is kind of disturbing. Is immigration a threat to white Canadians? I don't know if I feel bad because I'm a white Canadian and I'm, you know, is immigration a threat to Canadians or just white Canadians? How can a country of immigrants be so threatened by immigrants? Well, uh, I think the, uh, the, the this poll showed that we're increasingly uh, more nervous about this issue. Uh, is it a threat to white immigration? Presumably, if you bring in uh, non-whites, presumably your society will be less white. So, uh, I mean, statistically, numerically, is it a threat to that particular society, that particular culture? That's for maybe other people to decide. But there's no question that this sentiment has gone uh, from about 36% of Canadians believing so five years ago uh, till today uh, when it's 49%. So almost half of the people in Canada believe that is, it is somewhat of a threat to uh, white Canadians. So uh, many have cited, and we, we talked to Jeff Semple from uh, Global in Europe about this, and, you know, jobs, uh, security, health care, they're concerned about all of that sort of stuff. Is it as much that, uh, Giddy, as much as it is a prime minister who perhaps doesn't address this or, or, or provide a balanced view of it, therefore leaving some feeling that he doesn't have a handle on this? I, I think that's actually quite right. I think the feeling is that we've lost control of our ability to use immigration as a as a tool to help the country. Um, 
uh, increasingly we're seeing images on television that suggest that we're not in control of our borders, and that's uh, worrisome. And uh, people are coming from all over the world of different colors, different ethnicities, different religions, different worldviews. And people feel that uh, that they're under threat if some sort of control is not imposed. Um, if we have wide open borders, then do we really have a system of immigration? Because it, the, 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 sense, the, the, the definition of immigration is that you have a set of rules, a set of regulations which determine who gets to come in and who doesn't get to come in. And so right now that seems to be a concept that uh, people are worried as being threatened, the fact that we're not really using our rules and regulations to select people who are coming to this country. Do you think this paints us in a bad light? I mean, it's not as if we're against immigration. It's perhaps the appearance that we're not in control of it. That's right. I don't believe that when you have a situation where people select themselves, that's not an immigration process. Uh, that's uh, that's something else, but it's not immigration because immigration is about uh, uh, rules and the selection criteria and that people are brought to the country based on that selection criteria. When people just come in, there doesn't appear to be any rules that uh, determine who gets to come in and what numbers and from where. So uh, I don't know if that Canadians are becoming more racist. I don't believe that they are. I think I, I have a tremendous amount of faith in the uh, in the Canadian public. I think we're pretty fair and generous people, especially compared to other populations. But I, I do recognize, even though I'm in this industry, that Canadians are, are not uh, tolerant of a lack of rule, um, uh, uh, a lack of the rule of law. They want to see us selecting who gets to come in, with what criteria, whether we're going to decide it's on the, the basis of education or language skills or economic ability. Uh, I think Canadians want to feel that they're in control. When people start to feel that they're not in control, then they start to become more nervous and then we get these kinds of results appearing in our, on our spreadsheets. How can or what can politicians do to alleviate these feelings of lack of control? Well, I, I think uh, seriously we have done a great job in improving our selection system. We have a, a system today called Express Entry where it's pretty quick. Uh, we are picking um, uh, people in real time and fairly quickly exactly those people who we believe are needed at this particular time. Um, I think that's a great um, achievement over the last uh, several years. Uh, however, we also have this phenomenon since the last election where the border seems to be wide open, and so that is the, the component that is degrading our faith in the system. And if we don't recapture that very quickly, uh, these numbers are going to climb. And I think those in power are going to pay for it on, uh, on election day. Because uh, as an immigration lawyer, when, I, when I'm out in the, in the social environment and I speak to people, they are increasingly talking to me about this and they're increasingly saying that this cannot go on forever. So I think by the next election, if uh, the Liberal government doesn't do something to uh, stem that concern, uh, they're going to have a major issue that they're going to uh, lose votes on.
I know we can't speak for them, but would they feel that immigrants would be in support of this or or not? I mean, you know, I, I guess if you let everybody in, uh, once they get here, they will vote for you. But but again, I think Canadians, as you mentioned, still want to think there's some sort of process or rules. Th- that's right. I, I believe that immigrants feel exactly the same way as Canadians yeah. on this issue. Yeah. If they've stood in line and they've paid a government processing fee and they've submitted all of the documents that they were required and met all the criteria and even spend a few dollars on a lawyer or a consultant to help them get here, they're expecting other people to do the same. Yeah. In fact, when they see those images, I think they get their backs up even worse than regular Canadians because yeah. they say, hold on a second, I waited two or three years to bring my spouse to Canada and that person just gets to walk across a ditch and they're here. And that's, uh, I think, inside of the immigrant population, you're also going to have a tremendous resistance to this idea that the border is just open for anybody to cross. Giddy Maman has been with us, senior partner, Maman Sandalot Kingwell, LLP. They are immigration lawyers. Giddy, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, uh, let's bring in Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist. I got a whole list of things I'm going to chat with with him, nothing specific. He, of course, a contributor to the Washington Times, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, speechwriter for, uh, former speechwriter for uh, Stephen Harper, and is with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. Uh, Michael, I just had uh, the premier. We're, we're all over the the uh, place here, so I'll try to be as consistent as I can here. Okay. Um, we just had uh, Premier Doug Ford on. Yeah. And uh, the, the the reason uh, I went to him was just a rash of polls, this, that, and the other. It's just ne- nobody wants this guy. Nobody ever thought he'd do this. Bah, 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 bah. Negativity, negativity. Right. Do you think the conservatives have the provincial conservatives have been doing a good enough jo- a job trying to sell what they're doing? Yeah, they've done an adequate job overall. I mean, have they done? Have they been perfect? No, but to expect any government to be perfect is well, it's preposterous in, in notion. They what they've done is they've tried to start the difficult situation or the difficult economic conditions that Ontario has faced for many years due to the horrible spending and basically terrible way they've been sort of handling things. The Ontario Liberal government really shattered this economy badly for over fifteen years. I know they don't deny it, and I'm sure you can have former finance minister Charlie Souza on, and I'm sure he'd say wonderful things about the economy, but it was ripped apart domestically and internationally. We became a have-not province for several years, mostly under Dalton McGuinty, but to some extent it carried over for a few years under Kathleen Wynne. They really had nothing to be proud about, plus the issues of corruption and various other things sort of hovered over them. It was a terrible 15 years, and it's hard to repair all the damage in one year. And what also a lot of people forget, Scott, is that in the first year or two of the mandate of any government, it doesn't have to be the Ontario PC government, it can be any government, a lot of the hard cuts come early and they come quick. And the reason they do that is not to make people feel bad or to change their economic conditions or make make it more difficult to pay their mortgages, to buy food, to buy diapers for their children or anything of the sort. It needs to be done because you need to do it hard and fast to begin with to get things cleaned up. And then you can then go back into the notion of bringing back in certain amounts of public spending, but wisely, in a more prudent fashion, in particular programs. If you look at the Ontario PCs, yes, people will say that they have 
done some things incorrectly, and I think they've handled, for example, the autism file imperfectly, and fairly imperfectly. But nevertheless, I think that a lot of what they have done is they've tried to improve the fiscal situation with Ontario, and so far over the first year, I think it's been fine. They've obviously been cutting back a lot of the fat in various things, which have turned off teachers' unions. It's turned off, well, it's turned off major unions as well. It turns off people who basically rely on government handouts or government funding or believe that people are entitled to this on a, a 24-7 basis. That's unfortunately part of the mentality that exists in Ontario. It existed when Mike Harris was premier, for example, and he faced a lot of the same things. But when you look back at it, and although people kept talking about the Mike the Knife era, he really didn't cut back a lot of stuff. Doug Ford hasn't cut back an enormous amount of things this past year, but he has tackled certain things, including education, that worry a lot of Ontarians, especially because they're not used to it, based on the fact that in the previous 15 years, the Ontario Liberals did very little to cut back or trim back the fat that basically exists in our system right now. So no, has it been perfect? Absolutely not. But anyone who expects perfection will always feel, uh, they'll feel disillusioned at the end of the day. Has he done an effective job overall in this past year to get things in order? I think he's made a very good start overall. I think there are things obviously he has to catch up on to some degree. He has obviously chopped back the size, say, of Toronto City Council. He, you know, he's obviously working towards trying to figure out the situation with education, which has worried a lot of teachers, and a lot of them are fearful that they're going to lose their jobs, even though really, and I've read the papers and everything associated with it, nothing seems to show that at this stage. It's just an assumption based on the math, but math, as we know, can always change and always does change in government. Overall, it has been a good first year. The fact that people are frustrated, they're frustrated more by the fact that he's cutting back on certain services and readjusting other things that people are not used to. Once it comes into play, once all the heavy lifting is, has been done, and once everything has sort of settled on the ground, I think that a lot of Ontarians, including many Ontarians who voted for him last year, will find that they are content with what they see, happy with the direction of the Ontario PC government, and while not perfect, it's a good way, you know, at least they're moving in the right direction. And so as you, no, and, I don't have these issues. And as you bring up, and as you brought up, uh, governments that are eager to do this early in the mandate will get it done because, again, you try to get the pain at the beginning. So when at uh, the end of the term, when election comes around, there's more goodies That's right. uh, to dole out. How, how do you explain the backlash since this government uh, took office? Um, and I'm sure a lot of it's the left-leaning media here. You know, I, I almost sure. feel ugly saying that. <laughs> but 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 at the end of the day, how do you explain the polls? I mean, obviously, people did not want Kathleen Wynne. They drove her back to, you know, they don't even have official party status. Correct. Uh, PC's got a majority. So this is Correct. what they wanted. Why are they complaining now? Well, by nature, people always complain. In fact, I think we now live in a society where people are triggered or complain or or get unhappy about everything. You see it in social media, you see it in daily life, you see it in the work environment. People just are never happy or content with anything. And really, that's on us. And we should actually look at ourselves for that. Because really, the amount of nonsense or just the basic sort of hatred, frustration I see and others see on a regular basis, I think people should actually sometimes take it easy and realize certain things. 
The other problem as well, Scott, is that a lot of people really don't know or remember how governments tend to operate on a regular basis. The fact that there's a lot of heavy lifting done the first year or two, which most governments do, always seems to be forgotten, not only necessarily by the critics, who are not, not going to be happy with anything that Doug Ford or any Ontario Premier would do, it's sometimes also forgotten by the people who supported that the current Premier, let's just use Mr. Ford as an example, either because they were fully in favor of what he said or partially in favor of what he said, because he hit them in a certain spot or a certain sweet spot that they didn't want to be attacked in. It could have been something as simple as feeling that bucket, the bucket beer program was a complete waste of time and a political maneuver. It could simply be because they're the parents of autistic children and they feel hurt, frustrated, and basically are looking for answers when they're trying to help their children. They're all looking at certain points, some of which are valid, some of which are not, and it's affecting them personally. So that much I get. Plus as well, in fairness, and this is with no disrespect to the Premier, and I've known Doug Ford a long time, you know, he and his late brother, the, the former Toronto Mayor Rob Ford, were lightning rods for, of controversy. They really were. Mm-hmm. People remember what happened during Toronto City Hall when Rob Ford was mayor between 2010 to 2014, and Doug Ford was a city councillor for that one term. They remember a lot of the machinations, the circus environment in Toronto. And he didn't have to live in Toronto to remember it. I'm sure many of your listeners live somewhere in Hamilton or around the surrounding area. They know about it, the same way that a lot of Americans knew about it when American TV covered it. For that reason, a lot of people continue to associate that period of time and keep thinking that this is all being bridged or brought in or is a part of Doug Ford's mandate. In Toronto, for example, there's a lot of liberal Torontonians or left-leaning Torontonians who basically just feel that Doug Ford is using his provincial status as an extension to do what he wanted to do, be mayor of Toronto and sort of fix things up from within, which is why, you know, they say this is why the province has taken over the subway system, the TTC. This is why the province is cutting back on certain health care services here. They all think that this is basically an extension of what his plan would have been had Patrick Brown not stepped down or was forced to resign as leader of the Ontario PCs, Mr. Ford became leader and then premier, that this whole thing was just basically an extension of a plan that he had for a separate component of politics. All right, I mean, let's... A lot of that is just nonsensical, Scott. I mean, he is the premier of this province. He believes in helping Ontario overall. Whether you love him or hate him, that's where his eyes are focused on. But to continue to dislike him because of what has happened in the past, where he has completely corrected what was a very difficult and tense time that he faced with his brother and a lot of other things, and the fact that basically he has tried his best to try and bring this province back from really the doldrums that the Ontario Liberals basically destroyed in a period of 15 years, and you can't emphasize it any nicer, destroyed in 15 years, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to believe that after one year, people are just acting like this. But again, in this society, I guess we shouldn't be that shocked. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to keep talking about this. I, I wanted to get your opinion on something else, though. Sure. Uh, new Ipsos poll done uh, for Global. 30% of 
um, uh, of uh, 30%, 37% of Canadians say uh, yeah. that immigrants uh, immigration is a threat to Canada, specifically yeah. white Canada. Uh, many are finding these, these stats disturbing. Many are saying that these sorts of stats, whether it's various polls, are increasing. Is, you know, Canada a, a land of immigrants all of a sudden not happy with immigrants? Or is it... We are not happy with the perception we have of how our government is handling uh, the immigration policy. Are we anti-immigration or is it we're not sure that the prime minister has a handle on this? Well, that's a good question. I think it's a little bit of column A and column B on that one. Um, You know, as unfortunate as it is, because we are a nation of immigrants and we have actually cherished the fact that people have immigrated to this country and played a role in the system, which means helping build the economy, getting jobs, you know, improving the workplace, starting a family, and doing all the things one would expect to do in a free democratic society like Canada's. There, unfortunately, are always going to be a small percentage of people who feel that immigrants are taking away from them, taking away their jobs, their livelihood. It's a ridiculous and a terribly racist feeling But unfortunately, that sentiment exists in every country, including Canada. So when polls like this come out, yes, they are shocking. I don't deny that. These are numbers that you don't want to see, and you keep thinking, no, Canada isn't like this. We're different than everybody else. We are different in certain ways, but not in others. Whether we like it or not, that little bubble does permeate on the surface. It has always percolated from time to time. And I guess now in this day and age, where everything seems to be open, people just seem to be frustrated and angry about everything, and they're just lashing out, I guess he can sort of understand in part why this number is where it is. But is the other component the way the government is handling immigration? I don't think there's any question of that. I think that a lot of people have sort of questioned the way liberals handle the vetting system. Are they vetting all immigrants properly? You know, it's, it's one thing to say that we welcome immigrants, which we absolutely do, but we have to also ensure that the immigrants who come over have, shall we say, clean and good records, you know, a good education, good background, good jobs, or if they're coming from war-torn countries, which happens quite often, that they're just checked into to make sure that there are no links to bad elements, terrorist groups, and various other things. I mean, I'm not saying it's nice to do this. I'm not even saying it's nice to have this conversation. It's unfortunate that we have to have it. And, I, you know, and to be fair, Scott, sometimes I feel that, you know, even on my side, on the conservative movement, I think some of the grassroots members spend way too much time worrying about this. You know, they're, 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 they're harboring their frustration about immigration or immigrants, about different groups, you know, whether they come from Africa, the Middle East, etc., I think we focus and spend way too much time on it. But there is no question that the federal liberal government has not handled the vetting process very well, from the Syrian refugees who have come in to others. Are we as bad off as, say, parts of Europe, where they're having terrible problems in everything like the Netherlands and Germany and France and having rioting on the streets? No, and thank goodness we're not. And we may never reach that point. But is the Liberal government handling it properly and perfectly, where a vetting system includes the proper checks and balances you need to ensure that good people are coming over? Because we know that most of the immigrants who come over are good people, who want to work hard, who want to assimilate into society, and basically try to help Canada, at least using us as an example, 
become a richer and better place. That is good and that is wonderful. The problem is the bad apples who do come with it. Like it or not, they're there. Like it or not, they sometimes come in through the cracks in the system. And it's important that every government, in this case the federal liberal government, plasters those cracks so it doesn't happen anymore. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thank you so much. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a good day. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.